You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. Well, we're, in, uh, we're in James chapter 1 this morning. If you're using a black hardcover Bible there under the seat that Steve mentioned, uh, page 1011 is where you'll find today's text. Uh, as next week, we're actually going to celebrate our annual combined service with the Liberty family of churches. Uh, today is actually the day we're going to wrap up our month focused on mercy and justice issues. Uh, but as Steve mentioned just a moment ago, I want to continue to invite you to, to just dive into this month with us, uh, jump into that prayer time on Wednesday night via Zoom. We'd love to have more people praying together. Uh, as, as well as check out our website. We have a growing list of opportunities to learn, pray, and act uh, around each of these topics that we've considered this month. I'd love for you to engage with, with those things. Uh, and also then, uh, join us uh, and tune into the B-Side podcast this week. Maddie Gwines is going to join us on there, share a little bit more about her own story, how she ended up working with Bear, uh, and how um, so, uh, social work and caring for foster and adoptive families is so much part of the sanctity of life. So with that, let's dive right in this morning to James chapter 1. I invite you now to listen with open ears to this book that we love. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, And receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, But a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is God's word. Let me pray for us this morning. Living God, help us now to hear from your word with open hearts, that we may truly understand, and understanding that we may believe, and believing that we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience. Help us to seek your honor, your glory in all that we do. And we pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. James includes uh, two really big ideas in this part of his letter. We're going to spend the rest of our time looking at these two really big ideas. Uh, Number one, that doing is pure religion, And number two, that doing is practicing your true identity. So doing is pure religion, and doing is practicing your true identity. So first, doing is pure religion. There are many texts in Scripture, and hopefully if you are part of this church regularly, it's it's your your regular experience to hear some of these texts, uh, that are all about the comfort of God for us, God's heart for us. Uh, Texts which show us that what we could never have done for ourselves, Jesus in his unbelievable love does for us. But there are also a lot of texts in Scripture that are not particularly comforting. 
that are a lot more convicting, jarring, and, and troubling even. If it's helpful for you, you can start to think about these as blankets and buckets. Blankets and buckets. So blankets are comforting. They're the kind of text in Scripture that we rest in, that we are warmed by. Buckets, on the other hand, like a bucket of cold water, are specifically there in Scripture to wake us up from, to blind spots in our lives, to complacency, to, to any kind of coasting that we may have fallen into as Jesus' followers. James chapter 1, and really the, the whole letter that, that James, the brother of Jesus, writes here, is a bucket text, not a, not a blanket text. James has, as I'm sure you heard a moment ago, strong words in this passage. Our religion can either be worthless, verse 26, or pure, verse 27. Our doing, our activity in the Christian life, is the difference between self-deception, verse 22, and being blessed, verse 25. Now this, of course, is not the whole story of the Christian life. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit more about that later on. So I I appreciate how the reformer named John Calvin framed this passage in James 1. He said this, James does not here define generally what religion is, but reminds us that religion without the things he mentions is nothing. So with that kind of framework in the back of our minds, let's, let's receive this text as the bucket of cold water that it is really meant to be. James here includes three things, three kinds of doing that define the difference between what he calls a religion that is worthless and a religion that is pure and undefiled. And those three things are bridling our tongue, caring for the vulnerable, and keeping ourselves unstained from the world. There are are a ton of specific implications for these three things, a ton of different things we could talk about this morning. But as we're focused on the sanctity of human life today, let's walk through this and some implications for, for the sanctity of life. So for one, to bridle our tongue, to bridle our tongue. Like horses, that's the image here that James uses, like horses, our tongues need reins on them. We have to control our words. And that would include then the way that we talk about things like abortion and suicide and physician-assisted suicide. There's so much brokenness caught up in these things. There is callousness and there is cynicism and there is hard-heartedness in them some of the time. But there are also mountains of pain and shame and confusion. So a great place for us to begin is with James's words here in verses 19 and 20, where he says, be quick to hear, be slow to speak, be slow to anger. We should always be people who listen a lot. And we should learn to be empathetic and compassionate by spending time with people and understanding why they might be in such a place in their lives they would even be considering something like an abortion or suicide. There's a, there's a huge difference, and I hope I don't have to convince many of you of this. There's a huge difference between your anger and God's anger. My anger and God's anger. God's anger is always righteous. It's directed at the sin that corrupts and fractures his good creation and his design. And so therefore, his anger is never at odds with his compassion and with his mercy and with his grace. It's possible and it's necessary for you and I to cultivate that kind of anger, that kind of righteous anger as God's witnesses in the world. But that's really different from ranting. That's really different from the perpetually outraged perpetually offended posture that is so prevalent in our society right now. 
You don't need dependence on God. You don't even need a God to exist to be someone who's just angry and offended and outraged by stuff and who just spills out that outrage. You don't need a God to be real and present for that. But God's people, James is saying here, must be slow to anger, especially toward, I would say for the, our topic this morning, for people who are considering abortion or suicide. And, and think about it this way. We always have to remember who our real enemy is. Who's our real enemy? Paul writes in Ephesians 6 that, that we do not ultimately wrestle against flesh and blood. Our enemy is not ultimately other people. It's against this present darkness. It's against Satan and spiritual forces of evil. And Satan is just as much committed to the destruction of vulnerable women considering an abortion as he is committed to the destruction of their unborn children. He's just as committed to destroy everyone and everybody. Sanctity of life through and through is an image of God issue. We have a foundation. We have a real reason to value life because all of it is created in the image of God. And so we need to therefore be consistent by treating all image bearers of God with dignity and compassion. This is where I'm really grateful for local ministries, local organizations who pursue this well and who we get to partner with and learn from, like the Bear Foundation that you heard from this morning, like Capital Area Pregnancy Center. They do this really well. They, they care for women and they care for couples who are experiencing unplanned pregnancy. They also care for those who have had an abortion. They have something called an abortion recovery ministry. It's all about creating an environment where women can experience the grace and compassion that they so desperately need when that's been part of their life, when it's been part of their, their story. And our anger does not produce that. Our anger does not invite that. Our anger actually all but ensures we, won't, we will never have the opportunity to offer God's mercy, to offer God's grace to people in those hard and broken places. If we're just angry and ranting about this as a, as a societal issue without real names and faces attached to it, it all but ensures we're keeping people at an arm's length from the care they need. And that actually is the point that we're supposed to care for them. Because the second thing that James mentions here, the second component of pure religion is caring for the vulnerable in their affliction. In the first century, widows and orphans, the, the, the groups that James mentions here, they were among the most vulnerable in that society. And really, in many ways, they still are. They still are, as are the unborn, as are the, the mentally and physically ill, as are the elderly. Voting, uh, legislation, and political action, these are all really important aspects of valuing life. Sometimes we get so kind of burnt out and tired of that part of, of society and we just kind of run away from it. I want you to hear this morning, these are all really important aspects of valuing life. So I have been praying, and I would invite you to pray with me, that the Dobbs case, the current case that is before the Supreme Court, I am praying that it overturns Roe v. Wade. Like many people in this room who've had, had conversations with, I weep when I read that, for example, in 2018, abortion was the leading cause of death worldwide. What was the one thing that, 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 that extinguished the most human lives in a year? Well, at least in 2018, it was abortion. 42 million image bearers of God. Or when I read, for example, that in Iceland, nearly 100% of babies diagnosed with Down syndrome are aborted. And that number is 90% now in the United States. It's 90% here. Or when I read that in New York City, for example, more black image bearers of God are aborted than born. 
Or that in Asian nations, sex-selective abortions mean that as many as there are as many as 160 million missing women. Women that should be here, should be walking on the face of the earth right now, but because in many of those nations, their parents are limited with how many kids they can have, and so if they're not having a son, they abort their daughter so that they can kind of save up the room to have a son. That's more than the entire female population of the United States, 160 million women. So make no mistake about it, this is a justice issue. This is a justice issue. If you care about women, if you care about people with disabilities, if you care about racial disparities, you also have to care about this. Abortion is a a horrific, wicked reality of our time. And legislation and political action has to be part of our grid for how we care for and how we would protect vulnerable populations. But what I hope you also hear this morning is that it has to be more than a political issue. It has to be more than that. Being a doer of the word, pure religion, as James calls it, means we care for people in their affliction. And I love that James includes here both widows, who are vulnerable women, and orphans, who are vulnerable children. All kinds of implications for sanctity of life in our day in that. We have to care for vulnerable women, and we have to care for vulnerable children. It is always both and, never either or. Do we consistently value life? Do we consistently value life? Practically, that will mean things like caring for the poor because that's listed all the time as one of the factors for why many women pursue an abortion. They, just, they can't see a way financially to provide for their, for their children. It means prayerfully considering foster care or adoption or coming alongside families that are fostering or adopting. It's why you should definitely talk more with Stacy or with Maddie from the Bear Foundation and learn what you can do to be part of that. It means caring for people in the kinds of circumstances, think about this, stepping into those places where people feel like abortion is their only option or being the kind of person that can relate to others in a way that they'll talk to you after they've had one. I would put it to you this way this morning to consider. If you've you've never had a real conversation with someone who's had an abortion or never had a conversation with someone who's thinking about an abortion in this moment, I I want you to ask yourself, why might that be? Why might I have never had a conversation with someone who's in that kind of place in their life? What might that reveal about the worth or the worthlessness of our religion? Of our religion. Would Jesus call it sufficient for you and I to hold the right view? Would he call it sufficient for us to hold the right view? Will that earn us some kind of special pro-life badge, pro-life crown in heaven? Or would Jesus not also call us to live and interact in such a way that vulnerable people would know they can entrust sensitive and hard and really broken details of their lives with us and actually be loved compassionately, even if disagreed with? Where are we maybe not present in broken places where people are experiencing this every single, I mean, 42 million people in a year, this is happening every second of every day. So if we're not in those places, if we're never talking to people, this has been part of their story or is part of their story, where are we absent from places we should be present? And if no one's talking to us, why aren't they talking to us? Maybe there's nothing to that, but maybe there is. And even more, why do so many young women from Christian families get an abortion? Could it be because in our zeal to have the right position, we forgot to simultaneously create environments in our homes that are not characterized by silence and shame. Could it be that? Could that be at least a factor in this? Fathers in the room, dads, and especially if you're a dad of a daughter, 
Don't just teach your children about the injustice of abortion. Show them, let them know experientially by the way you live your life and love them that no matter what they experience in their lives, you are not going anywhere. That you will always be there. You will always be there for them, no matter what. The third thing that James says here, pure religion, is to keep yourself unstained from the world. So think about this. According to James' definition of pure and undefiled religion, social action and personal holiness are not mutually exclusive. Are not mutually exclusive. We, they actually are always meant to go together. We need to hear that in a month focused on mercy and justice issues. The history of the church, the present condition of the church, is filled with examples and groups and tribes and individual congregations that care either about personal holiness or social action. One tends to retreat and lob, you know, self-righteous grenades over the fortress wall at the rest of society. The other tends to water down the truth, not really talk about the need for repentance and faith in Jesus, compromises in certain ways. But this can never be an either or. It has to always be a both and, social action and personal holiness. Now, what does that have to do with the sanctity of life? Well, as one example one of the reasons there is such a high demand for abortions, this is by no means the only reason, but it's a prevalent one, is because we as a society, we as a culture have increasingly divorced sex from marriage and marriage from having children. And those are three things that in the design of God are actually meant to, to go together. And I hope you're hearing, not hearing what I'm, what I'm not saying there. Uh, there are some married couples who are not able to have children or maybe should not have children. But in the design of God, sex and marriage and having children are all interrelated, very connected pursuits. And our society goes, they have nothing to do with each other. Sex is one thing. Marriage is a totally different thing. Having kids is a totally different thing. One of the, one of the lies about abortion in our culture is that it's a woman's right because everyone's entitled to their sexual freedom. But I, but I hope you heard this a little bit last week, and these are really related topics when we talked about sexual fidelity our culture's definition of sexual freedom is actually God's definition of sexual slavery. That there, there are a lot of men and women who think they are being free and expressing their freedom, and they're just actually locking themselves in a prison of their own making. So where might you have bought into lies that are so prevalent in our society? Where might you have become subtly or not so subtly stained by the world, as James puts it, in your own perce- uh, perception, in your own practice of sexuality? We can't just check the box of being pro-life. We, we need to be people who both care for the vulnerable and being unstained from the world. We have to pursue sexual fidelity ourselves. We have to stop sleeping with our girlfriend or boyfriend. We have to stop putting them in a position where they might feel like the only option they have is an abortion. It means we have to hold high God's good design for all things, but especially for sexuality. A religion that is pure and undefiled before God puts into action this design of God for all of life. And that would mean, as James says here, bridling our tongue, caring for the vulnerable, keeping ourselves unstained from the world. Okay, if that's that, that doing is pure religion, that's the first big idea. The second big idea in this text is that doing is practicing your true identity. Practicing your true identity. James here is writing to Christians. Right there at the beginning of verse 19, you can look there again. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. 
It's a really important introduction to what he says afterward because he's not telling people here what they need to do in order to make up for their past sins. He's not telling people here what they need to do to earn God's favor. He's not telling them, here's the stuff to do to save yourselves. He's telling them how they can work out the salvation that they have. In verse 21, he writes, receive the implanted word. Receive the implanted word. I love that phrase. The the word that James refers to here is the good news of what Jesus has accomplished. And that word has already been implanted. It's already there within them. But at the very same time, he's saying, they have to receive it. It's already there. It's implanted, but you have to receive it over and over again. We are made new. We are given this brand new identity by trusting in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And James is saying, now put that into practice. Practice the true identity you now have in him. Live in light of it. The call to be doers of the word means that Christians are allowing Jesus' finished work to influence increasingly every aspect of their lives. If you're a visual learner, uh, you might, like me, appreciate simple diagrams that illustrate concepts like this. So if you're taking notes and it's helpful, write the word identity at the top of a page. And then leave yourself a little space and below it, write the word action. How are these two things connected, related to one another in the Christian life? Well, over on the right side of that page, write the word compels and connect it. Identity compels action. And then over on the left side of the page, write the word confirms. Action confirms identity. This is how the the Christian life works. We're given this new identity through the work of Jesus by trusting in that finished work. We have that identity. Then that identity compels us to be people who act. And then as we act, it confirms that identity. It serves as evidence. Our action, our doing serves as evidence to other people, sure, but even more importantly to ourselves that we really are in Christ. And James here is, is highlighting this. The word is implanted. But as we continually receive it, as we are putting away the filthiness and the wickedness from our lives and becoming doers of the word, it's confirming that that word really is in us. Our actions can't save us. It's the implanted word that has to do that. But our actions are what help us recognize that the word is really there. And this is where that that mirror illustration I think is such a, a good fit. I love that that's included in the same text. In verse 23, James writes, If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. With New Year's resolutions involving diet and exercise, uh, this is a time of year where we might be looking in a mirror way more often, way more frequently than we might at other times of the year. James is saying here, It would be kind of ridiculous for us to stare at ourselves in a mirror and then step away from the mirror and immediately go, and then like pop our head back in and go, oh, who's that? Who's in the mirror, right? And forget what we look like. But he's saying here that that's what we're actually doing if we claim to be God's people without putting his words into practice. That is the same thing as forgetting what we look like. It's forgetting who we are. Every January, when we look at mercy and justice issues in our world, it's meant to be a mirror. It's meant to be a mirror. And we look into that mirror 
And perhaps you, like me, immediately see how short we fall. That prayer of confession that we've been praying now for four weeks, I can't pray that prayer without recognizing just how far I have to go in my own life, how calculated I am in my efforts to serve people, how I only want to do it with, how's that phrase go, like with with those who are easy to do it with. The mirror should be both a comfort and a challenge to us. It's a comfort because as we see our imperfections, it drives us to Jesus. It drives us to Jesus. And, and you need to hear this really clearly in a month focused on mercy and justice issues. You can't ever care enough about people to save yourself. You can't ever push back enough darkness in this world to save yourself. You cannot create a new identity for yourself. Only God can do that. And in Jesus Christ, he has. But as it comforts us by driving us to Jesus, this mirror challenges us. It is calling us not to forget, but to remember to remember who we are. Jesus has purified a people for himself who are zealous for good works, and you are that people. Jesus has made a a royal priesthood. He has made us a kingdom of priests to our God who will reign with him forever, and you are those priests. You are that priesthood. We are those who have received the great mercy of God and are now his witnesses, his representatives to display that mercy in this world. January is a mirror. It's a mirror, a mirror that many of us can and have and will walk away from and forget. As James points out here, we have, a, we have a really high capacity as human beings, and even as followers of Christ, we have a really high capacity for self-deception. We can deceive ourselves about how mature we really are. We can deceive ourselves about how much, how much progress we've actually made in the Christian life. We can deceive ourselves with this false sense of arrival and say like, yeah, like people that are brand new baby Christians, this is all great stuff for them to hear. I remember when I was like thinking about that stuff a couple decades ago. Liberty Church, you are a beautiful family. You are an incredible group of men and women. So many of us in this room have looked to Jesus and become new creations. So many of us in this room have walked with Jesus for a lot of years. And I don't know what you see when you look around at the other people in this room What I see, at least on my good days, my non-cynical days, because I have those days too, what I see is a room full of people who, united with Jesus, has become a faithful, generous, equipped, highly competent family of Jesus' followers. And at the very same time, there is so much more practicing of our identity to do. There is so much more practicing of our identity to do, so much more growth So much more looking into the mirror and not forgetting, but remembering. This church has unbelievable potential to become more faithfully present in this region and in this world. This church has so much potential to become known for mercy and justice way more than we are right now. People known for compassionate, truth-telling engagement with real image bearers of God in this time and place. Now, what specifically that looks like, I'm not sure, but I'm really looking forward to finding out. I'm really looking forward to finding out. Is it foster care and adoption? Are a ton of us going to step into that, that in this world and come alongside families that are fostering and adopting? Is it caring for refugees? Is it a ton of us stepping into that? Is it walking with people through their addictions? Walking with people through sexual brokenness? I, I want to know what God is stirring in your life. I want to know. The elders and I want to know what God does as you stare into the mirror of his word and something starts to happen there. And we want to become better. We want to lead better into these things in days to come than we have in days gone by. We want to keep growing in this. 
So tell us, push us, help us in that. A couple weeks ago, as he was leading liturgy for us, Nate Folk uh, referenced the 1991 movie Hook, which is a great movie. And maybe I'm, dating, maybe I'm like dating myself there in a way that you don't know that movie. But it reminded me of another scene from that movie, which is actually my favorite scene in that movie, which I think is just a great illustration of all this. So I want to close with that. In the movie Hook, Robin Williams is playing a, a grown-up, middle-aged Peter Pan. And he's been away from Neverland for so many years, he doesn't even remember that he is Peter Pan. But there's this scene, there's this scene where one of the lost boys, little child, is playing around with his face. Anybody seen this? Anybody know what I'm talking about? He's playing around with his face. And after the years on Peter Pan, there's a little more fat on his face. The skin's a little droopier. But as this little child is contorting his face, all of a sudden this little child stops and he says, Oh, there you are, Peter. Oh, there you are. That's what being a doer of the word is like. Remembering who you are, discovering and rediscovering and practicing your true identity, the identity that is yours in Jesus, that became yours by the implanted word of God. Perhaps you once were passionate about pure religion, as James calls it. Perhaps you once were willing to sacrifice immensely and forego all kinds of ease and comfort. Perhaps you once went to bat for the poor and the marginalized. Perhaps you used to talk about Jesus a ton with other people and had this holy angst and urgency that other people would come to know him, put their faith in him. Look again into the mirror of God's word. Look again. And your skin might look a little droopier, The weight of this world, the weight of this life will certainly mean when you look in that mirror, you'll see some scars. The the, the bags, the dark circles under your eyes will be a little darker. But as you look into that mirror, church, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Even today, may your eyes be open. May you be able to exclaim, oh, there you are, royal priest of God. Oh, there you are, purified people for Jesus' possession who are zealous for good work. Oh, there you are, recipient of God's great mercy who gets to display God's mercy in the world. There you are. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Jesus, you have shown us unbelievable mercy. Even Darian's story, we have been adopted into your family when we thought there was no hope for us in this world. And as we have been blessed to be recipients of that, would you make us those who display it? Would you make us people who pursue your mercy and your justice in this world as a reflection, as a response to the great mercy we've been shown? It is solely by your grace that we are what we are. And so help us now as we come to this table, help us to look into that mirror and to see, to see who we were apart from you, but to see who we are in you. Help us to become who we are. Help us to practice that real identity. It is by your grace alone we have it. And so we come now to this table to receive and celebrate and enjoy it. And we pray all these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.